Thanks, Patrick and Tiffany. Thank you to our worship team for leading us into the presence of Christ. And thank you for being here as a church here at 383 Hampton Road as we continue to work through the book of Colossians. And today we're heading into Colossians chapter 3. If you want to open your Bibles up and begin this continued journey of discovering some questions that we might or particularly I have come to as I've read through this. Today's message is going to be one where I'm going to continually be asking God what's next. For me, this message will be one that is spirit-inspired. As I've gone through a journey this week of really trying to fine-tune what I believe Paul is trying to teach us from Colossians. And I pray that the continued discussion happens. There has been discussion that's been occurred from two questions I've asked. One of the questions is, does God send people who don't believe in Jesus to hell? Very, very difficult question. And the second is this. Do I have to figure it all out? And last week I talked about the equation. We would maybe even consider it the, the Baptist equation on what it, what it requires for us to take a step of faith in believing in Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And when we figure out that equation, when we accept Jesus as personal Savior, we have an eternity to look forward to, an eternity in heaven. And if we don't make that decision, there's the opposite. And a lot of people live life like heaven does exist and that they're going to end up there someday. A very popular song was written by a gentleman named Kane Brown. Some of you guys might be familiar with this song. It goes something like this. The lyric in the chorus goes, everybody's talking about heaven like they just can't wait to go. Saying how it's going to be so good. So beautiful. And then he goes on to talk about heaven here on earth, particularly in his relationship. And I believe in five very important things. These are the five things that I know when it comes to Christianity. And the first is this. The first is Jesus is the Savior of the world. In line with that theology is that Jesus did come during a Christmas season, we call it, as a little baby, born of a virgin, and then he died through horrible circumstances. He spoke against religious attitudes, and they killed him for it. He went down into the grave on a Saturday after Good Friday, and rose again on Sunday. He rose again so that we might have heaven here on earth, which is the second thing I'm firmly believing in, that there is a heaven we can experience now with Jesus, that when you come to understand Jesus as your personal Savior, you have hope, you have life, and you have Something that a lot of people that don't believe in Jesus have. And that's a firm belief in eternity. 
So I believe there is a heaven that we can experience now. A third thing I do believe is I believe that there is a hell we can experience now. And many of us have. We go through life with difficulties. There are most of, most of these difficulties are incurred by human brokenness. Greed. Whatever that might look like, we have experienced difficult times here on this earth. The fourth thing I believe is that there is a heaven in the afterlife. And the fifth is that there is a hell in the afterlife. Which leads me to this question. With these things in mind, how should I live then? As a person that lives on planet Earth, How should I live? Should I live in such a way that I wait and just have this life where I'm looking forward to eternity? And then the opposite should be, well, if there is an eternity, should I just wait till I'm on my deathbed to give my life to Christ? I know a lot of people have asked that question. So Colossians chapter 3, how should I live then is the question I have in mind after reading the first four verses. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is sealed, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, I pray for Soft hearts in this moment. Soft hearts to first to hear your voice for myself personally and for each person listening. That we all come to a true understanding of the question that is asked today. How then should I live? And God, I thank you that you have come into my life and directed me to live in such a way to follow the great command, the commandment of loving you and loving my neighbor. And God, with the questions that we've had over the last couple of weeks that have just opened up uh, many questions beyond that in our own minds, I pray that today you bring us to a greater understanding that ultimately what you desire for us is to live a life for you. And that whatever standards we put upon ourselves, God, the standard you have set for us is a standard that we reflect your son, Jesus, in everything that we do. So I pray this message reflects you, Jesus. And the words that I speak are just words that come from my time I spent with you this week and the contemplation I've had in my own heart about how I should live. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. How do you live your life? Selfishly is a way a lot of people might term it if they look at other people's lives. And then when you look at your own life, you just pray that I don't live a selfish life. Maybe that's the way it's meant to be. Paul goes on in this chapter of Colossians from verse 5 all the way down to verse 15 about the idea of how to deal with sin. And almost like as you begin to read through Colossians, you begin to say, well, if I do this, then this will occur. Or if I do that, then this will occur. And verse 12 talks about that, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, and humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgave you. I love that verse when it talks about forgive as the Lord has forgave you. And I think about my Savior on the cross, that that mid-afternoon day where he was near the end, about ready to say it is finished, and one of his last words that he speaks, or one of the last sentences he speaks, is this sentence where he speaks to those that have just hung him on a cross. Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. And I wonder to myself as I hear that, that these became eternal words. That he was not just speaking to the gentlemen that have just hung him on a cross, nailed nails through his hands, but he was speaking in a mindset as he looked out of, over the entire valley. He would have had quite a view of the entire area. And I'm wondering, was he looking directly at them or was he just in greater awe of everything, saying, Father, forgive my creation, for they know not what they do. Four of the most important people of my life, I, I pray that I live my life in such a way that I, these four people have a greater understanding of how Jesus acts because of the way I act with them. The first is my wife. I pray that I do everything as a husband that reflects the heart of Christ. And I know, even this morning, and then yesterday, and then last week, and last month, there were times where I did not reflect the heart of Christ with my wife. Did she question my faith? I don't think so. I think there was a mindset within her that understands forgiveness. And then Bailey, Bryce, and Bree. Three of the people that I would say, I as a father need to live my life in such a way that when I move on from this world, they look at my life and say, I want to reflect his life because he reflected Jesus' life. And I do everything that I possibly can to illustrate what it might look like to have a faith in an eternal life and a Father in heaven. And it has not always been that way. I first became a follower of Jesus 
at the age of 20. I grew up in an Anglican church, a Protestant church, and really, I didn't really have an understanding of what it took to get to heaven. At the age of 20, I was presented with the gospel based on the fact that I was living a life, well, a university life, if anything, that wasn't healthy, both physically, mentally. And I became a follower of Jesus based on the question that someone asked me, if you die today, will you get to heaven? My answer to that was, I hope so. And his answer to that was, don't you think it would be better, better to know for sure? And that led me down a journey of understanding the sacrifice of Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. And I know a lot of people in this room have gone through that entire journey. And I promise you this, in this message, I want to make it clear that that is probably the most important decision you will ever make in your life. That decision gives you a hope of eternal life that is guaranteed through the blood sacrifice of Jesus. There is a heaven in the afterlife. And the way to have a hope of that is to have the security through the decision to repent of everything. That word repent, when I first heard that word repent, was a very negative connotation word. It was a, a word that really meant I was a bad person and I needed to ask for forgiveness for everything I've done in my life. But the more I've looked at that word, the more I began to realize there was no negative connotation to it at all. What it was, was that my life was not facing Christ. My back was turned to him. And repent means just turn around and look at him. So when I first became a Christian, I began to live a life trying to figure it all out. Which kind of led me to last week's question, do I have to figure it all out? Well, the last 25 years of my life, I've been trying my best. And this week, I began to realize again that the more I've tried to figure it out, the less I fully, really understand. And the cool thing about it is, Jesus keeps reminding me it's all right. You don't have to figure it all out. But yet I still go on in my life, particularly as a pastor, trying to model Christ in my life. The first person I really tried to model Christ in my life with was a lady named Janik. I've told this story many times in the past. Janik, at the time in my life, was the equivalent of, I believe, what Kane Brown was talking about. Everybody's talking about heaven like they just can't wait to go. Saying how it's going to be so good, so beautiful. Kane Brown continues to write in that song, but spending time with you is like heaven. That was genetic in my life. Reminded me that there is heaven that we can experience now. And many of us in this room experience like that heaven all the time because the people that are around us, the love that we get to share with them. Jeanette grew up as a Catholic. 
never really steered from that. And I was all right with that. For those that don't know, Jinnick is my late fiancé I describe her as. On uh, August 31st, 21 years ago, we were in a car accident. And I've presented the gospel with my story and her story combined. And I talk about at the end of my story that I want to live my life in such a way that first, I make her death matter. That everybody that encounters me encounters me as a different person than I was back then, more loving and more God-fearing. So that everybody I interact with would end up in the same place as her. Because I wanted to be there too. And then as I began to figure out the equation we talked about last week of what it takes for us to get to heaven, I was reminded of the struggle I have every time I talk about this. And here's the struggle I have. The equation wasn't met by Jeanette. The equation we talk about, and I've talked about, and I've preached about, was not met. And I asked God over and over again about that, and I still have this vision of her in a place that matters. So I live my life, and I've lived my life since then. That accident led me to a place where I changed my entire life. I went to a place where I knew God wanted me to be a pastor. And I, I go back to a conversation we had, Janik and I had, at the supper table one time. I was praying over two Big Macs, if you can imagine. That was our supper that night. And I was praying for them. And, and she, she looked at me after I prayed. And I, I'll never forget this, this. She says to me, she says, Brian... Have you ever thought about being a pastor? Now this is over the blue. I have no idea why she asked me that question. My answer to that is, maybe someday. Of course, what we both didn't know is that life-changing situation would be lead where I'm at right now, 21 years later, continuing to live my life to make her death worthwhile. I first became a youth pastor about two years later. I'd present the gospel with that story all the time. But always facing the ordeal going, but what I'm presenting, I never had a chance to present that to her. And I always had that struggle within me. I presented the gospel to, I would assume, over 2,000 youth in my day. and I've seen a lot of kids raise their hands and say, yeah, I want that, Jesus. 
one of these youth was a gentleman named Matt Seeley. Matt was one of my favorite youth back in the day. Matt came to me through just broken circumstances. His family sat down with me one day and asked what could they do to help Matt steer towards the right lifestyle. And through that journey, I will never forget the day I sat on a piano bench with Matt at a place called Camp Wildwood. Matt came to me at, in grade 12 and he says, Brian, I want that Jesus. I want, I want Jesus in my life. I sat down and I can say that this, I have not sat down with very many youth one-on-one -on -one and say, here's the equation, Matt. Here's the equation. We're going to pray a prayer together and you're going to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you're going to talk about things that you've done in your past and you're going to say, Jesus, I ask you, forgive me and I repent of those sins and I turn towards you. And Matt did that. It's a memorable experience for me. I still remember exactly where it was. Matt met the equation. Three and a half years ago, I got a phone call that changed everything for me when it came to my relationship with Matt. Matt's wife found Matt hanging from the ceiling in their basement. I had to preach the gospel one more time at Matt's funeral. Which led me to the struggle again, because I've heard it said that people that make decisions like Matt make an eternal decision that won't have them find themselves in a place of comfort with Jesus in eternity. Again, the struggle many of us have dealt with. I have two stories of people in my life that I've lived my best around. We all have stories like this. We all have questions. And not knowing exactly the judgment that God places on all of these stories, I still am left with this question, how do I live my life now still believing in Jesus? And I could say firmly in this message that I have a faith that gives me the abundant life I need to deal with these stories. And this is why Paul says again in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, since then, since everything, he just talked about the, the, the freedom in Colossians 2 from human regulations through Jesus Christ and the life with God. Then he says these words, since then, since all of this and not being able to figure it all out, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I continue to believe that, Jesus. Again, I still believe in the five key things I talked about, that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that there is a heaven we can experience now, and I've experienced it. I experienced it with Janik. I experienced it with Matt. I've experienced it with many of you in this room. I've experienced that heaven. 
Yet there is still a hell we experience today. That the, the devil is still prominent. And I believe in John 3.16 that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Which leads me to my life verse of John 10.10, which reminds me both that heaven is real here on earth and hell is real here on earth. John 10.10 talks about the idea that the devil comes to seek, kill, and destroy. That's the hell part. But I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. That's the life that I get to have because of my faith in Jesus. But then I think of all of these stories. My stories of these two people have led me to a place of stronger faith in Jesus. But I know that there are some experiences of hell that people have experienced here on the earth that have led them away from the abundant life. That have led them to a place where they can't believe in a Jesus like that. And I sympathize with that. Because we live in a broken world. That Jesus came into. And I believe in the importance of Romans chapter 10 verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And that's why I'm part of the church. That's why I love the church, because he's the founder of the church. But then I get faced with difficult questions in my own mind. And my, my wife has even asked me a few questions over the last little while about those people that struggle in determining if Jesus really is worth following. Jesus has this conversation with the 12. And he talks about this idea that whoever acknowledges, and in, in, in Matthew chapter 10, he says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. That's important that we acknowledge Jesus. That's why I preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus and then verse 33 says, Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. That's pretty drastic. And I wonder about this. The importance of not disowning my Father in heaven. And so I always make sure that I acknowledge God before the people I live my life around, the people I live my life around at church, the people I live my life around in, in the supermarket, at the grocery store, at the gym, wherever I'm at in life, I want to acknowledge Jesus as my Savior. Do I do it publicly and just confess? No, I do it through my life. There was a gentleman listening to these words that Jesus was speaking. His name was Peter. Peter's listening to these words, and he's like, I'll never disown you, Father. I'll never disown you, Jesus. Do you know the rest of the story? The man who hears these words while Jesus is going through the torment 
of the cross, we read that Peter disowns Jesus three times. Which, if you do the equation, Jesus is going to disown Peter before his father. Would that not be correct? For Peter, the Saturday between Good Friday and Sunday would have been the worst experience of his life. If you're talking about hell on earth, Peter probably went through that on Saturday. I've talked about in the past the idea that when Peter disowned Jesus on a third time, he hears what? The rooster crow, right? It's probably first thing in the morning when he hears this, as he's warming himself around the fire, he would have heard this rooster crow as, as, as dawn was probably breaking. As Jesus was going through the, the trial, Peter hears the rooster. Saturday morning after the death of Christ and the burial of Christ, as dawn broke, Peter would have heard the rooster crow. Again, reminding him that he disowned his Father in heaven. He disowned Jesus. The same person that went through this struggle was the same person that woke up the next morning, heard the rooster crow, reminding him that he disowned Christ, and then the resurrection occurs. And one of the first people that gets to see Jesus alive is Peter. And you know what Jesus didn't say? Peter, you disowned me. The same gentleman we're talking about writes his own letter in First and Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, indicates that God is not bound by time. Jesus says these words, uh, Peter says these words in 2 Peter about the idea that to the Lord, one day is a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. Any decision that we make on this earth is like a glimpse since heaven is God's dwelling place, as he looks down from heaven, everything that's happening here is like a blink of an eye. And the decisions we make are eternal. And that's important to know. But I think of the forgiveness that Jesus had for Peter. I think of that when it comes to everybody. Ultimately, Peter also writes this conversation in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about this idea of what happened potentially on that Saturday. Because Peter, I'm sure, is still wondering, but I disowned Christ. How in the world do I still have the forgiveness? 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 for Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. That's Jesus for us. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. 
and through whom also went in and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed him long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. This Jesus went to a place where he tried to find a way to speak the gospel into people that lived 4,000 years ago. That's my God. 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter continues this conversation in verse 1 to 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered in body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. That's how we should live. Because he also suffered in his body and is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. That's how I want to live. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, uh, and, and detestable idolatry. I don't want to live like that anymore, Jesus. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of um, dissipation and and they, they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Here's the truth. For this reason, verse 6, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. Do I know what that means? I have no clue sometimes what that means. But when I think of my Father in heaven and seeing every single person ever born as his children, I'm reminded of what Peter also says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the desire that none shall perish. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, it says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God gives its light, and the lamp is the Lamb. That's what heaven looks like. This phrase contrasts our potential of of really thinking through the equation, beginning to say, our hearts need to be directed towards God as being the judge. Practically speaking, We need to see God as that one who judges. He knows the equation we don't. All we're told to do, again, the answer to the question, how should I then live as a follower of Jesus with all of this in mind, this confusion in mind? I need to live a life where I am abiding in Jesus. Where Jesus says in John chapter 15 that if you remain in me, I will remain in you. How then should you live? John chapter 14, verse 1 is where I'll close off. And I'll invite the worship team to come. Jesus' words say these, do not let your hearts be troubled. Oh man, I've had a troubling week thinking through a lot of this. And maybe I haven't made it clear about two of my most important stories in my life when it comes to this question. I hear these words, 
from Jesus, and I read them with a sense that I'm just taking them at face value. Do not let your hearts be troubled. When it comes to my story with Janik, I hear these words, do not let your heart be troubled. When I hear this, when it comes to the story of Matt, do not let your hearts be troubled. For me, I believe in God. Because of that, I believe in Jesus. It's what Jesus' words are. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then I hear these words, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I'll come back. Peter hearing the rooster crow three times. Maybe he's thinking about this verse a little bit. He's thinking back to where Jesus said, I'll disown you before my Father in heaven. But then he also goes back, and if I, I'm going to prepare a place for you, Peter. And I'm going to come back on Sunday. And I'm going to take you with me so that you may be where I am. You know the place, the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, and I believe this with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my might, that I believe in Jesus' words when he say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes when we hear these words. And when we hear the words of Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, that says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Or the words of Jesus to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Father, I pray for everybody in this room right now that they become secure in the knowledge of Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And even though we can't figure it all out, even though we all have stories of people in our own lives that we just know Or don't know where they're at right now. For me, I'm just going to worry about my life in you. And that it is secure. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you died and rose again. And that's the most important decision I can make. I will never deny you. But I thank you that either way, you have a forgiving nature. And that you forgave Peter. And you didn't hold it against him on that Sunday. Thanks for that story, Jesus. And every story of every person that's ever lived.
Thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life. It's in your son's name I pray.